everybody welcome to the 252nd edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling here very excited to be doing this podcast because real life has been a real bitch to me this week so i'm I'm happy and uh happy to talk about these trailblazers have you at least been eating some good food yeah well yeah when when Shitty people are trying to ruin your life. You're definitely you're more apt to buy and eat uh, more greasy, more fatty foods. So, yeah, I've been eating good. It's just people be testing me. So, uh, again, I'm very happy to be talking about basketball. There was a pop up at one of our favorite places in in Portland. It's uh, Derby. And we always go there for, for breakfast, but they had a pop-up. They've been doing pop-ups for dinner and they had uh, Filipino food. First time I've ever had Filipino food it's from Ali G's pastries and so good. Like, I can't wait to go back. Um, they have this spicy, like sweet potato pastry, panda ube. Uh, they had a pan sit that was so good. I mean, Good food just makes everything better. You can always like fall back on it. Even if you're having a terrible day, terrible week, you always have something to look forward to. Sit down, you can block out your phone, your email, whatever. And you just can enjoy the food for, for what it is. And uh, I'll definitely be going back. I always love trying new types of cuisines. And uh, what's the next cuisine you want to try? <sighs> have you tried Ethiopian or... No, but we did. So I've I've had bits and pieces of Indian food, but we went to an Indian restaurant, got takeout uh, at the Sutra. And that was, I mean, we ordered a feast. We were like, we don't know really what's good. So let's just order basically one of everything. We ate for like four days. Um, so, th- so that was awesome. And that's definitely like another place that's on our to-go list now. Like Pambiche is up there, which is Cuban cuisine. We go there quite a bit. Um, a piff is uh, Peruvian food. Uh, just so many good different spots in Portland. I think we're going to get burritos from Los Gorditos Friday for the duck game. Is the super- duck game Friday? Friday night at 7.30. Yeah. So I'm just like super excited like to kind of build my schedule around what types of food I get to eat. Yeah. Uh, the the one thing that happened to me in uh, with food sort of is uh, – when my grand when my grandparents immigrated to this country, they uh, opened a Chinese restaurant called Cathy uh, Kathy's Terrace. Um, it was in Providence, Rhode Island, and uh, you know it was a pretty famous Chinese restaurant. Well, obviously it's closed because both my grandparents are dead, but the plateware has kind of been like a, a thing that all of us hold really close to us. And I got a bunch of new dishware and plateware and stuff like that, that I've been putting through the dishwasher a bajillion times. So uh, the place that it was stored had rats that just shit all over the plate. So I've just been washing and washing and washing for the last 24 hours. So I think I'm going to do a few more washes, but you know, it's really cool to have plates that, you know, my grandparents served on. 
you know, the, the you know, the long platter plates, teacups, normal plates, but they're shipped. But it's cool to have something that's part of part of my history. Essentially, it's like, you know, they, they work really hard so they can have real good plates to serve food on. And now I'm the person that's eating off of them. I think that's really cool. Love to see the cycle come full circle. Yeah. So we, we talked about good cuisine. With Halloween coming up, candy, before we get into the Blazers, I need to know if you're in a candy fantasy draft, you can get three Halloween candies. Doesn't matter what order, who you taking? I fucks with some peanut M&Ms pretty heavy. I like me a good Reese's Sour Patch Kids. Yeah, I mean, that's... It, that. I took Kobe, Shaq, and Michael Jordan, so it's not really like... I didn't dig deep. Yeah, I mean, you you went strong. I mean, there's yeah. no there's no debating those. Just for the sake of having different choices, if I had three, I would probably do a Milky Way. Oh, man, probably some Reese's Pieces. They're great. And the... It's, it's so hard. There's so many good choices. And then I feel like you have to have a sour candy. You took, you took Sour Patch Kids, so I'll, I'll go Skittles. I just feel like Skittles has some great flavors and then some stuff that I don't fuck with. Like the, uh, like the lemon one's just fine, but I'm not like, I'm not excited about having lemon Skittles. Well, then give me your lemon Skittles because I'll eat them all. Really? Oh, I love all Skittles flavors. They okay. All right. I'm very excited to be talking about some hoops, man. It's It's been too long. It's been like a whole month. It has been. In some ways, the season feels like it just ended. And in some ways, it feels like it's been three years since we've last seen uh, real Blazer basketball and preseason. That's different strokes for different folks. If you are super stoked to watch preseason basketball, hey, more power to you. Uh, it's a little bit difficult, I think, for you and I uh, to get really excited about it when you're getting 23 minutes of Kelgen Blevins against the Kings and Dame's playing half games and you, you really don't know what you're going to get. Although I, I would say there is there is proof to the pudding in, in the sense that the Blazers have not looked good this preseason. And it's a little interesting to me, and I, I texted you about this two years ago. 2019-2020 season, we looked absolutely awful against the Suns. It was the Aaron Baines game where he was just – Hassan was not getting out there, and they rained, I think, like 23 or 25 threes on us. And I was like, red flag. What what happened? We had one of the historically worst defensive performances in NBA history. And now it's like becoming – reacting to preseason is becoming the norm now. Like everyone was telling us, oh, it's just preseason. It's just preseason. I think those days are gone, um, especially for a team like the Trailblazers, who is probably in one of the most pressure-packed win-now franchises of, of, all th- of all 30 teams, Sage. And you have a team that, frankly, has not looked good. If we're just, you know, being, being frank, they let the Warriors attempt – 69, 69 three-pointers against them in, in a 14-point defeat where Jordan Poole looked like Steph Curry. And then you have an embarrassing, even in preseason, an embarrassing 45-point loss to the Phoenix Suns without Chris Paul 
and they shoot 39% on 41 attempts from downtown. And a lot of those were, were wide open looks. And what have you, obviously there's a new coaching staff. There is a massive roster overhaul, despite Neil O'Shea saying the roster wasn't a problem for the first round defeat against the Denver Nuggets. Yet the starting five remains the same, Sage. What 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 do you think is the issue? Is is this roster just uncoachable? It, are they just not talented enough to compete in today's NBA where everyone on the floor is a threat? You know, I, I don't ever want to say this team isn't talented because it absolutely is, but it just seems like the talent is very similar to one another. The fact that we're running three, six, three guards is going to pose a lot of problems. It also could be problem for the opposing team's defense, having three dynamic guards, but that remains to be seen until the uh, actual season happens. So I've only watched one game in its entirety. The rest I saw like little highlight packages, which, you know, finding finding plays that are substantial to somebody else, it might not be substantial to you, but in the one full game that I watched, it seemed like we were putting Nurk in a situation where it was like he was move, he was he was definitely hedging, but I felt like good guards are just going to blow by him. So that's just going to be a whole new set of problems. Chauncey Billups has a lot of work to do uh, before the regular season starts, and it's not a lot of time. And especially because of the pandemic, I'm, I assume practice times are a lot shorter. So it, it's. It's a lot of work for Chauncey and the rest of the coaching staff to really build this roster and make it so they're running their own sets, not Terry Stotts' old ones. I think it's really hard for any coach to improve this roster's defense. And I'm with you. Uh, I think last season, the roster was talented, but the pieces didn't fit. Like You can say that Norman Powell is a better player than Maurice Harkless and be 100% correct. However... As a small forward, you want the size that a Maurice Harkless is going to offer. Uh, I think Portland really started to suffer when they lost Harkless and Aminu. It's just been a slow decline. They knew uh, their roles. They knew their roles, and they were good catch-and-shoot players. They were able to defend versatile positions. I would Rebound. say they were some of the better point-of-attack defenders that Portland's had recently. Right now, I would argue, Sage, Portland's number one issue is – 1A is they do not have a point of attack defender, and 1B, they have three of five starters playing out of position. You're not going to win in the NBA with those two things. And for a a point of attack defender, it really means that you are the first line of defense. You are not letting your man get behind you. If you have a hot player, you can just go and stick them on them, and they are going to, for the the most part, kind of shut shit down. I mean, we've seen that with Gary Payton in the past. Uh, Ben Simmons does it fantastic right now. And if you're looking for a rookie who's going to make a splash, Davion Mitchell from the Sacramento Kings has that as that reputation. You really need at least one guy to kind of quarterback the defense and stop anything from getting into the paint. I think the Blazers are really struggling right now is they have nobody that can stay in front of their man and it is causing absolute chaos on the back end. They may be good enough to make that first rotation, but then as I watched the Phoenix game, they were just making 
two, three, four passes. If you make the Blazers work on defense, you're going to get an open shot every single time down the floor. Now, Portland may be doing a better job on, on that pick and roll initially, which they haven't done in the past, but now you're just seeing teams kind of, you know, bing, bing, bing around the perimeter, cut to the basket, and they are getting whatever look they want. And then you're also looking at a size deficiency in Portland where CJ McCollum and Norman Powell are playing out of position in terms of their size. They are just getting overmatched. And I, I, I would say that at his age and his, his level of play, I would prefer to see Covington as a three than a four, just because he's, he's undersized too, if we wanted to keep it real. So you can have Covington be an undersized four if you have regular sized players everywhere else. But when you have that middle of the lineup, the two through four, all undersized, that just puts you at a disadvantage nearly every time out there. And I just don't see there being a, a fix for this roster. It just doesn't seem to work. And you're seeing right now what we talked about on our last episode, a lack of size on this roster. You have Nurkic and Cody Zeller and really nobody else in the rotation over six, eight. Well, what happened when Cody Zeller got his nose broke? In the Phoenix game, JaVale McGee was catching lob after lob over Larry Nance Jr., who is now expected to be that backup center. And he, I mean, then that's doing him a disservice. I bet he can. He's not putting him in a position to succeed. He can in certain scenarios. Sure, like, let's think of a team that has a small set, like Paul Millsap on the Nets. If he is their center, I have no problem with Larry Nance being the five. But when you're going against a traditional center like JaVale McGee, it's going to not be our most optimal result. And you know Monty Williams is never going to run a small lineup. That's just not him. So, yeah, I, I think in most in certain matchups, Larry Nance just – it can't happen. It just cannot happen. But then you put Cody Zeller in, and Larry Nance is too good not to play. So we're putting ourselves at a real spacing disadvantage as well because – I mean, I watched Larry Nance in that game one. He was passing up open jumpers to pass it to Nasir Little. So, I mean, if we're expecting Larry Nance to be a spacer, we're going to have a long year with Larry Nance. And I think he's too good. Like, he is a good player. So, to put him at this disadvantage, it's like we have three non-shooters. And I know Nurkic in game one was pulling. But do you really think that's going to be the case in the regular season when things matter? Pull all you want in the preseason. shooting the basketball. It was one. It, it honestly felt like a Minu. Remember when it was a bag of? It, it was like either it's a switch. It's the most pure thing, or it's to the left or to the right. You know, Aminu didn't didn't shoot at. You know, if it rims softly or hard, that's fine. But when it goes left or right, that's where you have a. That's where shooting is difficult for you. And I feel like Nurkic is going to be like that this year. So speaking of Yusuf Nurkic, we know the elephant in the room for the Blazers is Damian Lillard and that clock that is ticking on his, what some would say, inevitable trade demands. It hasn't came. We, we don't know. But the clock is ticking. I think everyone within the organization is feeling that pressure. Maybe not the elephant, but the hippopotamus. The hippopotamus in the room. What are the Blazers going to do with Yusuf Nurkic? What can they expect from him? Because he hasn't been able to stay healthy. He's played one fairly full season, and that was when he slimmed down in 17-18. But was and that was his worst year. Uh, no, 17-18 was his second year in Portland. Yeah, his worst year, though. Oh, his worst year. I thought you said his first year. Excuse Not worst. 
yes, he got completely played off the court against the, the New Orleans Pelicans. Every other year, he's sustained a pretty significant injury. He still does not know how to set a screen sage. Four offensive fouls against the Phoenix Suns on moving screens. <laughs> he's a walking turnover when he gets – he wants a bigger role, but I don't think he's ready to embrace the responsibility that comes with a bigger role, that comes with being a playmaker – I think the Blazers have to decide quick what they want to do with Yusuf Nurkic because this franchise historically is known for just letting players walk rather than getting value for them at the deadline. This season is more than just this season. Like, what what are you going to do? Are are you going to move Nurk at the deadline? Are you going to keep him and then pay him? Are you going to keep him and let him walk? Like, there are so many factors that kind of go into this, but I think the biggest one of all is – the way Neil Olshay constructed this roster, Yusuf Nurkic is considered part of a big three. And I just don't think Nurkic being part of anyone's big three is, is a recipe for success. Like we just haven't seen him progress the way we thought he was. It seems like he's plateaued since that just unfortunate injury against the Brooklyn Nets, you know, basically two, two seasons ago. Do you think he's going to take that leap in a contract year or, or is this Nurkic just who Yusuf Nurkic is? I think that Yusuf Nurkic is a good center. I don't know if he's going to be a great one. I think he puts up statistics that makes it look like he's great, but when you watch it, it's different. You know, I was just, as you were talking, I was just thinking, like, he wants to be Joker really bad. What do you think his game would be like if he never was on the Nuggets to to start and play and playing with you, uh, Nikolai Jokic? Because he acts like, he wants he wants to do the things that Joker does, and he's good at it, but he's not great at it. Like I, I think Joker is transcendent of a passer at the big. I think uh, Yusuf is really good at it, but there's a big difference, and then that the margin for error is really small. So he'll he'll try and thread the needle on passes that just you shouldn't even attempt. Like Chris Paul shouldn't attempt that pass. You shouldn't either. You can really only have one player on your roster that's a high turnover player, whether that's Steve Nash in his MVP seasons, Russell Westbrook, even Damian Lillard, like the player with the ball in their hands, they're, they're expected to turn the ball over a, a decent amount. You, you want to take care of it, but that just, it's, it's the nature of you have to take the risk. You can't have multiple players taking risks and to do so, you have to be elite at this level. He's not Walton. He's not Sabonis. He's not yoke. He's not Jokic with, with the rock in his hands. Um, Maybe he would have become a better back-to-the-basket player. He started to show in the Nurk fever days, he was dominant down low. He was more Embiid than, than Jokic. I, I I don't know where he kind of got lost along the way, but the the decision-making with him in the middle of the floor, it's hard. There, there aren't many bigs that you trust. There are not many Draymond Greens out there that you can just say, okay, I trust you to make the right decision with – four of the defenders running at you and limited space. And you have less than probably two seconds to do what you want to do. That position is rare. That's why Draymond is going in the hall of fame. So while Nurk is really good, you have to be elite. And that's what makes a, a great teams into contenders. And he's just not it. And so you, you, you said it, you know, pretty, pretty eloquently. He is a good center, but you can't have a good player as part of your big three. And you can't have a good player who wants to get paid like a great one. Before we talk about, trading Dame or trading CJ. I just want to say it's it's special with those two. 
we're fans of the Portland Trailblazers, right? And we want to think that the Trailblazers represent us. But look at the look at the team. Neil O'Shea isn't from here. Chauncey Billups isn't from here. Roy Rogers isn't from here. We have two players in Dame and CJ that are building roots here. And that's a rare thing. So those two building roots and showing that they love this city is something that other franchises do not have. So before we talk about the inevitable trades that probably will happen in the next few years, I just want to salute those two for really sticking it out and being a, a Portland, a, a great Portland citizen, because it, it, it's a very rare thing to see these guys do what they're doing. Usually we do fan questions in a, in a segment, but because that was such a good uh, transition, I want to get to this question from Classic Court Tiles because I think it ties in perfectly. He wanted to know if this is the last year of the Damon CJ backcourt, how will we remember this era in 10 years? All-time great duo, lovable mismatch, squandered trade opportunity. I'll let you go first. I think uh, I saw that question. <clears throat> And I thought it's a mixture of all three. I don't think that you can, you know, there's eras of the CJ Damien pairing. I would say that during that Denver series, nothing was better. Now people have a different opinion. So it's, it's eras. Um, when I think back about this tr- duo, I'm going to think about it as a, a great experience, but I, I think it's a mixture of all of those three. I'll say 10 years is a long time. So think about 10 years from now. Or, we'll only remember the good things. Yeah, 10 right. years, what, what was 10 years ago? 2011, uh, Brandon Roy. Uh, people don't remember Brandon Roy not leading the Blazers to a playoff series victory. I think if you would ask the average Blazer fan, like, yeah, we totally won a series with Brandon Roy. It n- never happened. What people will remember about Brandon Roy is the .8 shot against mm-hmm. Houston. You're right. Against Dallas. Uh, being part of that rise with us era. So you only remember the fond things if it has generally been a fond experience. And that's what I think that the Damon CJ experience will be. I think there will be a lot of what ifs because I don't think they complement each other very well. And given Dame's greatness, there's definitely going to be a lot of looking back and thinking there, there is a little bit of missed opportunity there. But I do think there is going to be a lot of love uh, a lot of kindness and remembrance of of the good times whether that's the 2019 uh playoff run where dame led us against the thunder cj closed it out against the nuggets um people are going to remember the cj chase down block before they remember him dribbling 14 seconds east west before going north south they'll remember you know dame investing so much of time time and effort and energy into the community. CJ doing the same thing. You no, know, he has, has a vineyard here now. He's done the CJ's press pass with, with all of the students. So they will look back and they will remember fondly. Um, I, I think that was just a really good question uh, because right now it's like, oh my God, we, we have to break up this duo, but give it time. And the appreciation for what was accomplished, you know, making the playoffs every year, not the goal, but it's still something to, to be proud of. And there was also some perspective that Neil Olshay failed, failed the, those two. It, when, when you really dig deep into it, you can say 
well, Damon CJ, should they have ever won together? Could they have ever won together? Should they have been split up? You, you can say they don't complement each other. That that is a hundred percent factual. I think that is a you know respectable opinion to have. But if we just rewind to twenty seventeen, make the right picks in that draft, we are now in the upper echelon contending for a championship, even with Dame and CJ. So it could have been done. It wasn't. Hopefully, we'll remember the blame should be lying on the general manager rather than the players who maybe didn't complement one each other very well. Mm. So you said the inevitable of the breaking up of the duo. So for some listeners, this may be tough to hear. Others are ready to, to dive into it. Sage, are the Blazers going to get Ben Simmons or is this going to be another long line of all-star players that Neil Olshay failed to acquire or really put a good effort into there was anthony davis Kawhi leonard paul george jimmy butler james harden that the list goes on and on and on and in some of those cases the player or the team that made the trade for that player won the championship the next season so it has paid dividends and in some cases the player has re-signed with that franchise that made that move for them will this be another in the line of those names, or is Neil O'Shea actually going to get off of his butt and do his job? I don't want Ben Simmons. So I think when you named those players that were super, are superstars and got traded, all of them except Anthony Davis are alphas, and Anthony Davis is the best beta in the league. I don't think that Ben Simmons has the mentality that all of those players have, and for that reason, I'm I'm fine with not having him because that mentality is is the most damaging thing. When you don't have the mentality to be that that great player all the time, you know it, you don't need to trade CJ McCollum three first round picks and three pick swaps when you're one of the most pick depleted teams in the league. I, I don't think that Ben Simmons is worth that. And if that trade rumor is out there and it's real, I'm glad that Neil O'Shea did not do it. One, it is an overpay. But two, maybe the Blazers shouldn't have given up three first-round picks for Robert Covington and Larry Nance Jr. Because that's why we're depleted, because we continuously trade our picks for role players. If we're going to trade our picks, I'd at least like to trade for arguably the best defensive player in the league. Somebody who... (laughs) I say Ben Simmons. I mean, potato, potato. Either way, both are point of attack defenders which we need we need a defender who can just lock shit down and it's it's not there and I, I i i firmly believe if the blazers trot this roster out for an entire season we we know the ending stage it's like a movie we've seen five it's a first round loss i know it is and you might even miss the playoffs if, if i'm being honest dame won't let that happen Steph Curry didn't make the playoffs and he had an historic season last year. So it's not just on, we saw Dame put up 55 and 10 and and they, and they lost against the Nuggets. So I don't want to put too much pressure on Dame because he already carries enough. Like you, in, in a certain instance, you need some help and it's just not there. But I think that I don't want us to be so desperate that we trade for somebody that is going to not fit whatsoever with this team. Neil O'Shea, if we traded for Ben Simmons with that trade package or even a better one like CJ, two firsts, and a pick swap, we have so much more work to do to make that roster good because there's no way that Larry Nance Jr., 
Ben Simmons and Yusuf Nurkic are going to be able to coexist on a basketball floor. It's not the 1990s. No, I think you definitely trade Nurk in 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 that scenario. But so you said something. If if adding Ben Simmons isn't a step in the right direction, then is there a step in the right direction? Should they just blow it up now? Like wh- what are you saying, Sage? I'm saying that Ben Simmons is not the answer that we need. I know that he is the one all-star that's upset with his current current situation, but he is not the guy that I would want to trade everything for. If we're get, trying to get a superstar, I think throughout the year, somebody is going to get upset, and that's where we make our our uh, godfather offer. I don't I, – I just – not for a dude who can't. He's really great at some stuff and then an absolute F at others. He's the rich man's Lonzo Ball, and I don't want that. Do we even have a package? No, no. we're not going to beat Oklahoma City or New Orleans. To be completely honest, there's no way you beat New Orleans. So that's what that's what I'm saying. It just feels like Portland's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. We put ourselves there, though. I mean, Neil O'Shea put us in that hard place. Absolutely. So he he has to work some brilliance for us to get out of that hard place, and I just don't see that happening. So through three preseason games, there's not a lot. Not a ton of conclusions to draw from. Uh, there is still the mantra that the games haven't counted yet, and you don't make a judgment until until that has been the case. But I've kind of grown gone uh, to the wagon, or excuse me, the bandwagon that that Ennis Cantor and Carmelo Anthony are going to be missed. Were they problematic together? Yes, yeah. but they were not the sole reason why the Blazers. Oh failed. And I kept thinking back, I was like, you know, we were really talking about the sixth and seventh man being the sole reason that was holding this team back. I was like, that's no way that's, that's, that's true. Stupid. That, yeah. that but you true. know, we were in, we were so close to the problem that we couldn't see the other problems. We just saw the thing that was glaring in front of us because we're just so invested into this team that exactly. we see one problem and think that that's the sole reason that no, it's the sixth and seventh man. Maybe the two and the one and two need to be a little bit different for us to succeed. Absolutely. And when you play weak defenders with Mello and Cantor, it's only going to amplify the issue uh, of their their lack of defense. But I truly believe Portland is going to miss Ennis Cantor on the offensive glass. He was incredibly durable, something that Zeller and Nurkic cannot attest to. And Carmelo, love him or hate him, he was instant offense. And right at a now, cheap price point, at a very good price point, which we which we discussed, uh, you know, quite a few times. So I'm having a hard time viewing the Blazer bench. Is this finally the year that Ant takes the leap? Where yeah, I mean, it kind of has to, right? I mean, yeah, it, it has to because it's basically contract year for him. But I feel like. Portland brought in a lot of players who just do a little bit of everything rather than a specialist. And I think on the the bench, the reserves, you need specialists, you need rebounders, you need shot takers, you need defenders, you need some guy who's going to come in and you know exactly what their role is. Now, the reason the players start is because they are pretty damn good at a lot of things. I don't want my bench to be comprised of players who are worse than that, but just do a lot of things. 
you know, I want to see a few regular season games to get what the rotation is just because we never really got to see what the bench rotation is. Um, I mean, going from the bench in game one, it seemed like we were dependent on Anthony Simons and Nasir Little to be the conductors of the offense. And that's a lot of pressure to put on them. But Ant's year four, Nas is year three. This is when jumps happen when you have good coaches that give these guys playing time. I mean, I think Nasir's development is shot compared to another coach because Terry Stotts didn't play him at all. But Anthony had ample opportunity. Yeah, but in a role that isn't optimal for him. I mean, here's why I want Dennis Smith Jr. on the team. He actually can be a point guard. I have a new rule for myself. Every guard is a combo guard until proven otherwise. And Anthony Simons has not proven otherwise that he is, that he's a point guard. He is a combo guard. Dennis Smith. He's a bad point guard. All right, Sage, before we get into our preview for the season in terms of where we see the Blazers ending, ranking the rest of the Western conference, a little bit of rapid fire for you. I am under the assumption that the Blazers have to have a hot start. You know, given injuries to the other Western Conference teams, Clay Thompson's working his way back. There's no Jamal Murray for the foreseeable future. No Kawhi Leonard for the foreseeable future. I think the Blazers have to be in that that three, four, five mix mm-hmm. two, three months down, down the road. Yeah, if margin of error you have to be fighting for home court while your opponents are weak. And I think if they don't, we're only going to hear not only local media, but national media talk about Damian Lillard. Even if Dame's not saying anything, that's where you're going to hear that chatter of it it could essentially be a Houston rocket situation last year. You know, I don't think Dame's going to come out and say we're not good enough. Like James Harden did after back-to-back losses to the Lakers, but you're going to hear that, that chatter surrounding the team. And I think that's going to negatively impact them, which could, you know, this team has, has boom, or I don't know if they have boom, but they definitely have bust potential. And I think that is one of the, the elements that could cause that to, you know, kind of come bust. So I think they need to get off to a hot start. I think they need to believe in in what they're doing and the changes that, that have been implemented. Otherwise I think you could start to see a lot of second guessing. Especially since Chauncey Phillips is a first-time head coach, too. Like, on on the uh, broadcast, they were talking about how this is Chauncey Phillips' first game as a coach in any level. So he better inspire the absolute shit out of this team to play hard every game, or this is going to be a, a very short tenure for him as a head coach because there's just so much pressure on him and on the management uh above him on the team like there's a lot i mean this is a very very hot seat for him so you mentioned something that i wanted to talk about you mentioned that he needs to be able to inspire the blazers i have not seen the blazers play inspired basketball in probably two years i mean i would say that i saw the most inspired basketball against the warriors that i've seen in a long time because and they still lost yeah, they got their ass kicked, but there was there was a first and second effort, and I I rarely see that on a Terry Stott Terry Stotts coach team. Because I would see, I, I would say, 
a team like the Phoenix Suns, they look ready to contend. That's Monty Williams and Chris Paul. Portland looks like a team that's talking about ready, mm-hmm. contending for the playoff. Like, you know, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to go work out tomorrow. Like, it's always, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Phoenix looked like a team that was already doing that. So I think Portland has a long way to go. And, and honestly, I know it's preseason, but for a team that just got embarrassed by a shorthanded Denver team, lost their coach of, of nine seasons and has a lot of pressure going into the season. I'm, I, I'm com- severely underwhelmed at, at the, at the performances. I know it's preseason, but like I've, I, I've read the book, um, a long hot winter. It was uh, Rick Adelman detailed the 1991 season and the Blazers, and I know it was a different era, but they were talking about going out and like kicking the Lakers' ass in preseason. Like those two teams knew they were going to match up in, for the Western Conference Finals. And they were going at it in the preseason. Like they treated it like the regular season, like it counted. And I, again, I know it's a different era where it's a little too cool for school to be, be doing that in preseason. But if you're a team that supposedly has a chip on your shoulder and you have something to prove, I, I would have expected more. And uh, I, I don't think they're like, we've said this so many times, they're not good enough to turn it off and on. They have to go back to that just grit men, grit and grind. The desperation. The desperation they played with when Vegas predicted them to win 23 games five years ago. They have to do that. Otherwise they're, they're just, they're going to be an also ran team that they're going to be an afterthought. Nobody's going to give them the time of day. So in a lot of senses, it's on the Blazers to, to make the changes that, that we all want to see because they, they are a talented bunch. I know it's not the best put together roster. Everyone will, can, can basically agree with that, but there is an attitude that you can bring to the hardwood that I do think translates into a few extra points every night, a few extra possessions and a few extra wins on the 82 game calendar, which as history tells us could mean two to three spots in the playoff standings. Yeah, or just not being able to be in the playoffs, period. So speaking of the playoffs and the Western Conference stage, I asked you, and I did this as well, we do this every year, kind of go through our how we see the Western Conference shaking up. And in these these predictions are how we think the standings are going to to fall, not necessarily what team is better than the other, because like like we talked about you know, how are we going to place the Nuggets or the Clippers? That They have players who probably are going to come back, but not for quite a while. So uh, let's kick it off. Who do you have at number 15? I think it's only two teams that have, are even a remote possibility for this. I would so agree. I have the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, Same. Because I think the Rockets will at least be fun and lose. I don't think the Thunder will be fun while they're losing. So I have the Thunder at a petition to save Shea from the Thunder. Like he needs to go and be great somewhere else. That franchise is not serious about winning for a long time. I, I have them at 15 as well. And so Pokashevsky too. Absolutely. So at 14, I think we both have the Houston Rockets. I, I think they could be incredibly fun, but lose a lot of games. I have them ahead of the Thunder just because of Christian Wood and how good he can be. And I think you're going to get a lot of fun plays from, from Jalen Green as well. Yeah, I mean, Kevin Porter Jr. Have you heard of the uh, Turkish rookie, Albert Sangoon? I mean, he looked great against summer league players, but I'm very curious to see what he does against 
I don't know, even Yusuf Nurkic. I think Yusuf Nurkic will body him. Like, uh, what? We can hope. Yeah. The the Rockets are a a fun team, but they're going to be losing for a while. And I think they know that. Who do you have at 13? I have the Timberwolves. Okay. I think player-wise, they have some guys that are really good. I think Carl Anthony Towns and Finch are a great combo. I think that they couldn't really find a better coach for Carl Anthony Towns. I think Ant has the potential to be great. The mentality thing of bringing it every night is a worry, but all those players around them and they've spent a lot of real assets to get, I don't think fit well. So, and their organization's kind of a mess firing their, the leader of basketball operations, like two weeks before the regular season. So I I think that they are going to be a team that puts up a lot of points, but does not play a lick of defense. So I have them at 13. I have the San Antonio Spurs at 13 and have I mean, yeah, you you absolutely could have an argument. There's an argument to be made from 14 to 15, who's worse, 13 to seven, and then six to one. There's an argument to be made. Well, six to two. I think this is the year the Spurs really go for that tank. They they don't have the veterans of Aldridge, Gay, or DeRozan that can you know win them just enough games to stay in that that upper half of, of the lottery. They they don't have a lot of talent on this team. That they're they lost Patty Mills as well. I mean, they they may challenge Houston like they to creep into that that three team uh, lotto ball because, I mean, Dejounte Murray, Alfred Camino. Jakob Hurdle, I, I mean, I don't feel bad for him because of how many titles they won with uh, Timmy, Manu, and, and Parker. Um, but it's it might be time for Popovich to uh, have his swan song and go into the go into the wind. You know, just right off go into the, the wine business to compete with CJ. Yeah, uh, who do you have at twelve? I have this first. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, for the same reasons that you already said. As the one thing that San Antonio has to hope is that Popovich is still having fun. If he's still having fun, you have a chance at keeping the most, the best trans, uh, the best coach ever. So just make sure that these these players try extremely hard to keep him motivated. At twelve, I have the Sacramento Kings. Um, I love what they did in the draft. I'm already a, a Davion Mitchell fan, as, as I discussed. I love defenders, especially on the perimeter, who can get after it. Their problem is now that their three best players are all point guards with Halliburton. <laughs> and Buddy Hield's a guard, too. I think Buddy Hield is, no, I, I'm not a Buddy Hield fan. They need to trade him for whatever they can get. I, I don't like guys who just chuck and chuck and chuck, and maybe they get lucky every other game. That's your game, Dustin. No, I'm just kidding. I take well-thought-out. Uh, attempts from from downtown. I am uh I'm Ali Quigley, uh, Danny Green. So, excuse you. Uh, yeah, the Kings. Uh, they talk about the Kings are an absolute nightmare. I mean, they biffed on the Marvin Bagley pick. I like Rashawn Holmes, maybe not at the price point they brought him back at. Harrison Barnes is a solid player. They they just are They're getting paid way too much to be a solid player. They, they they're quickly going into the Indiana Pacer, uh, you know, treadmill of, of purgatory where they're just not shitty enough to get that number one or number two pick. And they're not, they don't have a, a basically a, just a, a dominant player that can. Aaron Fox isn't Sabonis. 
no, they can't even get them into the playoffs. So, you know, I feel bad for the, for the fans of Sacramento. They have good fans down there. So I think it's going to be another losing year for, for the Kings. Uh, Luke so, shouldn't be the coach. Alvin Gentry should. They, they, they need a, a massive change. So that's who I have at 12. Who do you have at 11, Sage? I have the Kings. Okay. Uh, for all the reasons that you just said. Um, yeah, it, it, it's tough. Your three best players are guards. Your four best players are guards. None of them are dynamic enough to be that alpha guy. I know De'Aaron wants to be, but he's not there yet. So it's going to be tough. The Western Conference is really difficult, too. So, unfortunately, the Kings are my 11th team. At 11, I have your New Orleans Pelicans. Because I, I have them at 10. I have them at 10. So I, I really, really like Zion Williamson. Um, I especially like when New Orleans puts him in positions to handle the basketball. Uh, I, I think they go away from him too often. I, I, I didn't love the decisions in free agency. I know Lonzo wanted out, but I, I was a Lonzo fan. I know, I know you're not. Um, I can't wait to talk about this team. I just think that Griff gives Olshay a run for his money in terms of bad, bad, bad management. This team should be better. I hope they, is a better GM than fucking David Griffin. Yeah, I, I really hope they make the playoffs. I want to see Zion in the postseason. I want to see him play competitive basketball uh, down the stretch. Uh, but I'm I am in a I'll, I'll believe it when I, when I see it mode with the Pelicans. So I have them at 11. Uh, who do you have at 10? I have the Pelicans at 10. Okay. Um, let, let's, let's... Which is low for you. You always have them in the playoffs. I mean, there's a chance they make it to the playoffs. I, I think. Did you read that article about David Griffin? Which one? The one about the piano. I, I, I actually. Oh, I, I saw snippets of it. Yeah, he played. Okay, the piano so I read that article. I apologize. I don't know who the author is. I'll add it into the show notes or something. But I think that he went extraordinarily light on Zion Williams. Well, Zion Williamson. Excuse me. I should say his name right. His parents control his life. He is a beta NBA player. I know he plays with ferocity, but his actions just scream beta to me. Um, I think the team is better. Zion has reportedly shut down that rumor that the piano playing inside the bubble ever happened. Just by the way. I mean, that's fine, but I know for a fact that his parents control his career. And if Zion's the alpha that, the NBA portrays him as they should be higher, but I don't think they are. So that's why I have them at 10. Um, It's like, it's going to be a confusion to see who the lead guard is. I think they are better than they were last year. Um, Devontae Graham and uh, Naw are going to be much better than Eric Bledsoe and Lonzo ball. So they definitely improved in the guard. They still don't have that alpha guy as the, in the perimeter, but they are a better team. And if, Luca and Trey Young bring their teams to the playoffs. Zion Williamson, with how good he is and how high his ceiling is, should bring this team to the playoffs. Number 10 for me, my super sleeper, the Minnesota Timberwolves. I love Anthony Edwards on and off the floor. I think he's only getting better, especially on the defensive end. I think he's brought some enthusiasm back to that organization. Hopefully we get a fully healthy year of Carl Anthony Towns. I don't love D'Angelo Russell mm. on that team, but I think if there's a team that could maybe make a, a mini jump, uh, I, I like the Timberwolves uh, just, for, just for those two two factors alone. I mean, we saw 
how good Anthony Edwards can be. He's creating for for himself. He gets hitting the three much better than he showed at any point uh, during his tenure at Georgia. Um, I think they they could sleep in and, and be in that that plan. But uh, at number nine, who do you have, Sage? I have the Memphis Grizzlies. I know, like that. This is my dark horse team. But at the same time, there's teams above them that have a star player that's injured that might come back that could change some stuff. Jaron Jackson's injury history is absolutely terrifying. So John Morant legitimately could be an MVP candidate. He's that good. He's he's just the he's the perfect example of a young player that wants to ride for his team. So I really love the moves that they have made outside of the Steven Adams trade. I think that was a poor one, but I get it from a financial sense. Um, I just think that they have hit it, they have hit doubles, triples, and home runs off of those draft picks, and a lot of teams are just striking out of the plate. So they've done a really great job of team building, but I do have them at nine just because there are some amazing teams that are just missing pieces that will return eventually. I have them at nine as well. I, I really like Morant, clearly, uh, they've hit in the draft, especially late. Brandon Clark, uh, your guys, Tillman and Bain, they, they they seem to know what they're doing. I do agree. I think the biggest, they are in a a, a shaky situation with, with John Morant in terms of he was so good early on that they didn't get a chance to get another lottery. Yeah, pick that's why they traded for the Pelicans pick. To play with him, like a high lottery pick. Like usually you, like the Thunder, Really bad with Durant. Okay, then they get Westbrook. Still really bad, then they get Harden. They were able to let that team grow. You hit it. Jaron Jackson Jr. is not living up to that lofty aspirations pre-injury. I mean, he's just, he's super injury prone and he could have been that that Robin. Right now, there, there's no Robin for, for John Morant. He's just got a lot of good players around him. A lot of B-minus guys. You need at least another all-star. And so it, is, is Memphis already on the cusp of having another Lillard in Portland, Garnett in, in Minnesota type of scenario where they're just never able to get that second star next to him. Yes, it's early, but as long as they have John Morant, the, the draft is probably not going to be the way to do it. So they'll have to manage their financials. Memphis don't know much about the city, but you've never really heard people talk about it being a hotbed for free agency. So It'll be interesting to watch this team grow um, over the course of the next five, six, seven seasons. But for right now, I do think they are going to be a play-in uh, participant. And just as we saw last year, they, they crashed the party and they gave Utah all they could handle in the first round. But for the traditional one through eight, uh, we're now there. Who do you have at number eight, Sage? Uh, and the other thing about the Grizzlies is they have competent management. We can we can absolutely say the Portland Trailblazers have incompetent management. So they might be able to use their assets, which they have a lot of B players. They can try and trade three quarters for a dollar. You know what I'm saying? We never had that, that luxury. Uh, but for eight, I have the Dallas Mavericks. Um, I think Luca's fantastic, but there's a huge question mark with Chris Tapps Porzingis and his health and his production. Um, the players around him, all they really have to do is hit open shots, but they haven't really shown the ability to consistently hit open shots. But Luca at eight, um, or I guess the Dallas Mavericks, but it's really Luca Luca Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks at eight for me this year, just because there are teams that are just better. They have more talent around them than the Dallas Mavericks. I have the Clippers at eight, and that's just because of Kawhi Leonard's uncertainty. Yep. 
whether he's going to play this year or not. I even debated putting them lower. I don't know if Paul George is a dynamic enough player to kind of get them over the hump in terms of the playoffs. But despite all of the jokes, the Clippers now are an organization that expect to win, that they have, you know, aspirations of competing for championships. And I think that culture, particularly with Doc Rivers, will get them into the playoffs. And if they Doc do Rivers get, isn't the coach, it's Tyron Lue. You're right. He used to Boom, Tyron. gotcha. You're right. Uh, but I think that the coaching staff is excellent. Yes, yes. Um, but if Kawhi does get back, that's going to be the, probably the most difficult eight seed of all time. And you besides can, the Jordan Bulls, yeah, you, you'll see some some real shuffling up in the standings. Uh, who do you have at seven, Sage? I have the Clippers for the exact same reasons you have them. Uh, Kawhi Leonard's not healthy, so you don't really know how good they can be, but. Paul George and that amazing coaching staff is going to get them into a playoff position. As long as they can stay healthy and Reggie Jackson continues to be the confident point guard that he was during the playoffs, I think they'll be the seventh seed. Terrence Mann as well, building off that great playoff performance. And it, it, I think they had a good draft too. They got uh, the guy from Tennessee and then uh, BJ Boston. So they got two bona fide blue tip talents in this draft. So yeah, I think the Clippers are just going to continue to be a very good team. And once once Kawhi comes back, that's just going to supercharge them. I have the Blazers at seven. Uh, okay. A team to peg because I could see them four. I could see them at ten. It, it, they are a an enigma wrapped around an enigma because, you know, you look at the pros. Clearly, they have a top ten player in Damian Lillard. You now get a full season of of Norman Powell. I do think they have a solid six man rotation, albeit maybe out of position a little bit. I would argue it's a high seven man of solid players. Your seventh, Ant and uh, Larry. I am. Ant needs to be better. Um, yeah, absolutely. But I think that he he is an NBA. He is a legitimate NBA player. Okay. I mean, we can uh, agree to disagree on the six or seven man rotation, but either way. Uh, but the cons, I think. Portland, what if I said Tony Snell is our seventh man? <laughs> I, I think the Blazers, they're, they're undersized across the board. Um, I think they lack a lot of defenders, especially at the attack and distributors, you know, really, you know, outside of Dame, who, who's going to create for others. And even Dame, he's not at the level of a Doncic or Trey Young in terms of getting others involved. Like he, he needs the ball in his hand. So he's looking to score. Um, I think there's pressure. We talked that the clock is ticking on this franchise in terms of what they're going to do next. They have to win and they have to do it right now. There's no more waiting. And I think another con, I think they do have a low ceiling. So while you have a high floor, I think the ceiling for this franchise is pretty low. I, I think if somebody were to say the Blazers are going to win the championship, I, 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 I don't see it. Not with this roster as it's currently constructed. Not so with this Lakers team as they're currently constructed too. Yeah, so you kind of already know what you have with the Blazers. So if, if that's your jam, that's your jam. But I, I, I think this is going to be, despite changing the coaches, it's going to be the same, kind of the same act we, we've seen for the past few seasons with, with this group. So that's why I have them at seven. Who do you have at six, Sage? I have the Blazers. Um, you know, Damien's fantastic. I think that we're doing the same thing we did last year with um, – it's a math problem. If the Blazers are hot, they're going to win. If they're not, they're going to lose. Um, 
Chauncey Billups hasn't proven to me that he is an elite coach or even a good one yet. So I think that we're going to continue to play that math problem until we're eliminated. Um, I, I see them as tops losing in the second round. Tops. And we yeah. have to have a perfect matchup in round one. Yeah, And I, that's a lot of what ifs. That's a too many what ifs to make a solid prediction. So I, I feel very confident that that, that six seed is kind of kind of perfect for them because there's a lot of variability in this team at six. I have Dallas. Um, I don't love what they did in the off season, but they do have Luka Doncic mm-hmm. and he put up some historic stats in that Clipper series. They're going to need to be able to, to kind of mend whatever differences between Porzingis and Doncic are for this team to fully, you know, thrive because the outside of Tim Hardaway jr. Uh, Jalen Brunson's pretty nice player, but it's rotation it's, guy. Yeah. It's the Lucas show that they need again. Like we talked about with, with Memphis and, and John Morant needing another, you know, the star Dallas needs that, but just because um, Luca and how well he's been playing, especially in the regular season, I think they're going to finish uh, at six uh, at five. Who do you have Sage? I have Denver. It, they could be lower. They could be higher. I think that they're, they're going to really, really try for a high playoff seed so that they can use the altitude to their advantage in the playoffs. So I think that they might be the team that just absolutely goes after it in the regular season. Utah and, and, and Phoenix were the healthy teams that that survived and were put in good seedings. I don't think that Denver is like that, but I think that they realize what an advantage home court is in the first round and will try really hard. Yeah. I have Denver at five as well. Uh, Jokic like Lillard does not take games off. He, he plays hard. He's kind of a throwback player, which, you know, I really appreciate. They have a home court advantage. So even if they are undermanned without Jamal Murray, they play really tough in the mile high city. And there was an argument to be made that during that time between the trade deadline and when Murray got hurt, that that starting five of Jamal Murray, um, I believe they had Will Barton, uh, Aaron Gordon, uh, Nicole Jokic, they, yeah, Porter Jr. They were playing some fantastic basketball. Like everything was humming for them. Everything was coming into place. Clearly Murray going down really derailed everything there. But I think they could be a sleeper to come out of the West if they get Murray back and he plays like Bubble Murray. Uh, mm-hmm. But for the Nuggets, this is this is who you have now. This is the team you're building with. They give massive extensions to Porter Jr. and to uh, Aaron Gordon. This is their five. You know they they have to now win with this. How much more growth do they have internally? I do not know. But uh, health will be a huge factor for them. But definitely a scary team out west when they are healthy. Who do you have at four? I have the Phoenix Suns. Chris Paul's getting older. So he's going to probably play less because Monty Williams cares about him for the for the playoffs. I don't think it's as important for them to finish highly. So I think they'll, they'll be willing to rest some of their stars. So I have them at four. They're still a fantastic team, but uh, age might be against them with Chris Paul. I have the Warriors at four, and this was hard. For but there, that's an argument to be made. The Warriors could be four, absolutely. Yeah, I have, the, I, have the, I have Golden State at four, and it was hard to place because I think you're going to get an, an initial surge from that team. You know, they they finally feel like they're back from their 2019 uh, finals uh, loss against Toronto. You know, this is the first time 
in two full seasons that Clay Thompson will return. Like his timetable is still up in the air, but they will get Clay Thompson back. We've seen how well Draymond Green plays when he is locked and initiated and just really engaged. They'll have that. They brought Andre Iguodala back. I don't think he's got much left in the tank, but again, that gives you that gives you some, you know, familiar vibes and you're able to kind of feed off of that that rush. So Golden State is going to be talented this year. Now, how will they fare once they get into the dog days of NBA winter and the age starts to creep up and the injuries maybe maybe happen? I don't know. But they could be a team, if they're fully healthy, again, that could come out of the West, given how great Steph Curry played last year. If Clay Thompson can return to form, watch out. That is a lot to ask for, though, because – Thompson suffered arguably the the most difficult injury to recover from in the torn Achilles, and that's coming off of a torn ACL. There's going to be a lot of rust. Jordan Poole stepping up and playing like an all-star in preseason could really help smooth that transition as he provides that offensive punch they need until Clay gets back. So you factor that in. Uh, second year of James Wiseman um, could be a huge development for them, plus they had two lottery picks. This team is scary. Sorry, I couldn't find where my place with the water bottle. All right, Sage, who do you have at three? I have at three the Utah Jazz. Um, I think that they have made improvements to the roster by getting rid of Derek Favors and adding Rudy Yeh and Hassan. So um, I think that they're one of those teams that wants to have home court advantage and will try extremely hard to get it. If Donovan Mitchell can take that next step, I think it makes a lot of things easier for him. But I, as of right now, I have them at three. Got the Lakers at three. and Because they just don't care about regular season? Possibly, yes. I mean, you've got LeBron who's going to turn 37 here in, in two months. Uh, Anthony Davis has a history of, of injury concerns and I still question the Russell Westbrook fit. I thought they should have went the Sacramento route. I don't like Buddy Heald, but Buddy Heald catching open threes off of LeBron, you know, driving dishes is a lot better than Russell Westbrook turning the ball over at his historical rate. I don't know how the Westbrook fits going to, going to work. It could it be like in Houston where we just don't know. And it turns out it doesn't work. Westbrook just is a really tough player to gauge. Like he's never really won uh, all of it. Um, he's came close, but it, he is a tough player to have with the ball in his hands, especially in a, I think, shooter friendly NBA where you have, to, yeah, you have to be able to shoot the basketball and teams are just going to beg him to shoot. There's going to be nights where he looks like an MVP and other nights where you're going to be like, that's how much he's making again. Uh, so I've got the Lakers at three. I do think they're going to come out with a vengeance. I, I know whenever you count LeBron out, he comes back. I still think they're the favorites just because of LeBron and AD, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if we're talking in June and this team is not representing the Western Conference in the NBA Finals. Okay. Who do you have at two? I have the Warriors at two. <clears throat> you know, it, it, a lot of it relies on Clay Thompson's health, and he's – dealt with some disastrous injuries throughout his career, but Steph Curry and a healthy Dre and then 
a team that actually has NBA players, it's tough to bet against. Um, I mean, if if Clay's healthy, their biggest worry is the second round pick in last year's draft and James Wiseman to be good. So uh, it's a lot of what ifs than other teams. So I'm going with the Golden State Warriors at two. I've got the Utah Jazz. Now, do I think they're the second best team in the West? No, but they are a team that has probably lost a lot of sleep losing to the Clippers is in the second round, especially without Kawhi Leonard. Uh, they were a team that had the league's best record, and they're they're probably pretty pretty grumpy over there in, in Salt Lake City. I think they're going to do whatever they can to win regular season games. Uh, I do like the Rudy Gay acquisition a whole a whole lot. Uh, Jordan Clarkson is a bona fide sixth man of the year, and Don Mitchell continues to get better and better. What hinders Utah come playoff time is really the, the lack of lateral mobility from, you know, a Joe Ingles, a, a, a Bogdanovich, and Rudy. Yeah. And, and how much does Mike Conley have left in the tank? So they're a team that I think is kind of uh, riding on borrowed time. Like th- this might be the last year we talk about the Jazz in the upper echelon of the West, just given the age of the supporting cast around Donovan uh, Mitchell. But I do think they're going to try hard and that equates to wins in, in this year's or this kind of era's NBA. Uh, I assume you have the Lakers. Number yeah. one. Yep, yep, yep. Who do you have a number one? I'm sorry. I, I have the Phoenix suns at number okay. one. I think they are, they're out for blood. You know, you get to the pinnacle, you almost get to the top of the peak only to say, no, sorry, we're closed. You know, you got to go home. You got to turn back. I know that was a long journey that you just made. Speaking of teams that are going to be grumpy, it is going to be the Phoenix Suns. And they their team just meshes so well with one another. We're seeing Devin Booker really ascend into superstardom. I think Chris Paul is just a fantastic leader and is getting the best out of all of those young players. Especially Andre, DeAndre. Monty Williams, I think, is probably the best coach currently in the NBA. And you mentioned DeAndre Ayton. He is taking that that leap. Was he the right pick? No. You could have had Luka Doncic. But he is looking more and more like an all-star caliber center rather than a bust. And for him to continue to grow and be a mobile big in today's NBA with a jump shot, that, that's going to that's be... That's so rare. That's going to help them tremendously. And then they have probably one of my favorite players in Mikhail Bridges who is just going to shut you down. And you have that on the wing who can also shoot through uh jay crowder's got you know nba finals experience as well on multiple teams i love that campaign had a resurgence in, in phoenix like they brought in andrew shamit who i think is going to be great off the bench and they the javel mcgee signing was uh, was underrated like again a, a mobile big who could shot block and catch lobs from cp you know the so best sign, lob thrower ever sign me up i i, I think the phoenix suns are there they are my pick to co- not only finish first but i i have them coming out of the western conference i have the lakers coming out of the western conference who do you have coming out of the east brooklyn. i know it's tough because brooklyn on paper but you, this isn't 2k and one of their big three is not playing and they have that distraction you know what? that i'm going with my boyfriend drew holiday okay who do you have I want it to be the Milwaukee Bucks just because I, I love Giannis and I love watching Drew Holiday play defense. I, I think this is the year that, that Kevin Durant becomes the unequivocally like the best player on the planet. 
Kyrie or no Kyrie. They have Patty you know, Mills, who is no joke either. either. Like Blake Griffin, James Harden was an MVP candidate for stretches. Like people forget they have James fucking Harden too, who fits that offense like a glove. Uh, he can easily run point. You've got, you know, he, my he, he's the best point guard on that team. You've got Joe Harris, who is just, you know, a three point machine. I, I think it's going to be Phoenix and I think it's going to be Brooklyn. And I have Brooklyn winning it all with Steve Nash denying his old team a championship. Which That'd be hilarious. So uh, do you, do you have Milwaukee Lakers? Do you have Lakers winning it? <sighs> yeah. I think that's a heart pick and I know it is, but Brooklyn's really fucking good too. To me, I think there are four teams. Who? If any of the, if, if any other team rather than these four wins it, I would be astonished. My four Lakers, Suns, Bucks, Nets, any other team wins. I would be mind blown. I think it's a four-team final four race. Definitely. Where do you? So you have the Blazers. Do you have them losing in the first round? Do you have yeah. them winning? Okay. I I think it has to be the most perfect situation, and we played the most perfect situation and still lost last year. Who do you have I, winning MVP? Hmm. I mean, you could always just say LeBron because he deserves to win it every year. But if the Nets do, in fact, kick as much ass as I think they could, I think it might go to Kevin Durant. I don't know if he's ever won one. He won it in 2014, but just one. Yeah, I I think there's that MVP fatigue, too. So I don't think Giannis will will get it. LeBron, I mean, he almost always is deservant, but it's been a long time since Kevin Durant has won one. So I think it's, if I was a betting man, I would go Durant. I I agree. I think it's going to be KD is going to get it. Uh, I think, I think you'll have one member of the sun's backcourt up there. I think Steph Curry is definitely going to be up there. Obviously LeBron and Giannis Um, a sleeper though. Well, Luke is getting, Luke is not my sleeper, but I I think a sleeper could be Trey young. What about uh, Jason Tatum if the Celtics do well? That would be a sleeper. I don't. I don't hold Tatum in that that esteem as as others do. But yeah, I mean, he would definitely have to be up there. I think. But Trey Young, if if Atlanta can bounce, have a similar season as they did last year when they kind of stunned everyone and made it to the conference finals, he puts up stats. Um, it'll be interesting to see how players like Trey Young, Steph Curry, and James Harden fare with the new rule. I mean, we already saw Nasir Little kind of get ran into and they're like nope that is not a foul like uh, unnatural movements are not being called fouls which i i think enhances the viewing experience a million percent i'm not about to sit here and watch two and a half hours of, of a free throw competition so kudos to the nba the next rule i would love to see change sage is that just pseudo clear path foul to stop a break you know it's not clear path but you know you're, you're about ready to see a dunk and they just, you know, go out there and grab the guy. Like, I would love to see that changed. Like, it's your fault you turn the ball over and it's leading to a fast break. Don't ruin the fan experience by depriving us of this monster jam. So I hope they uh, look at that this offseason. I, I I am a favor of the tactility of fouling the on the fast break. No, that's boring. That's not basketball. <laughs> All right. 
Do you want to answer the rest of these fan questions? Absolutely, because they got they were some. Yeah, shout out to all the people uh, that uh, asked questions. All right, this was a really good question, and I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name because I think I have in the past, and you tried to. And I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm young in this, this sense, but I believe it's Bob Deeger. And if it's not, I'm so sorry, Bob. Uh, but he has a great question. It's like, what do you think is the best way to honor Damian Lillard and his remaining time in Portland without inadvertently endorsing or supporting Neil Olshay and the Paul Allen estate? This question that I've been thinking about myself okay. as well, but I, I want to get your take, Sage. Um, I think it's just enjoy the, the greatness and it might be limited. So I would just watch all the games and be part of the community. Um, that, that, I mean, that, that's what I would suggest. You don't have to go to games because that's, that is absolutely directly impacting Neil O'Shea and your dollars are going to, uh, say that you're you approve of what he's done in the last year and if you want to be real the last four or five so um i would say just watch games be part of the community and uh not spend your money with the trailblazers if that is a uh, the stance you want to take yeah yeah that's exactly right don't go to the games you know you don't have to buy officially licensed merch there are some really cool uh, non-affiliated merch out there from from fan created designs if you want to get crazy um, there's also like artwork that a lot of people in the community uh, put out there which is which is fantastic and yeah just just enjoy Damian Lillard and I would think I would say like if you're a fan of Damian Lillard not just of the Blazers but like you you like what he stands for on and off the court embrace whatever happens like and I'll say this from a perspective of when the Blazers traded Clyde Drexler, I was, it's, it's different when you're a kid. You were a child though. I get that. I get that. I wholeheartedly get that. But I embraced Clyde Drexler being traded because I loved him as, as a player. Like I loved him on the Blazers, but I loved watching Clyde. So I started following the Rockets and I was so happy that he won the championship in 95, even if it was a member of Houston, like he provided me with so many childhood memories that of course I'm going to be excited. So I would say just embrace what's ever next for Dame, like whether it's this season or next, or maybe never, maybe he doesn't ever get traded, but if he does just, just embrace that. And he's going, he's the same player. He's the same person regardless of what jersey he wears. Like that greatness is never going anywhere. And I would say that given that he's 31 years old, that amount of elite level of basketball is now on a little bit of, you know, that clock is ticking on that as well. So you only have so many seasons of Damian Lillard basketball, not necessarily in a Blazer uniform to go out and enjoy. Like he's just a really fun player to watch. I would say that the one benefit of being upset and, you know, not as uh, emotionally invested in the Portland Trailblazer franchise has been my ability to now enjoy other players without feeling, you know, somewhat guilty that no, that they're not, they're, they're not a Blazer. I can't, you know, spend my time on them. The other players out there, and I think that's kind of what could be. There's a lot of good dudes that play basketball at a very, very high level. Like Damian Lillard is still going to be a good dude whether he's in the uniform or not. You know, you can still 
watch all his highlights, watch the games if you're able to get access to do that. Um, you know, interact with him on social, like just continue doing what you're doing. But for me personally, it's been a decision not to give any money to the organization until they kind of figure their shit out. So that that's probably like the most concrete, you know, tangible way to do so without supporting um, the higher ups, so to speak. My white mother, Tara Biggs said, Anthony Simons, Improved playmaking is probably the most promising thing I've seen this preseason. What do you see that is promising? I have one. Shoot. Nasir Little's aggression to going to the basket is, I think, the most promising thing that I've seen. In the game that I watched fully, he drove it to the basket at will. Now, he missed damn near everything he threw up but he drove to the basket aggressively. So that aggression is going to be so valuable for the Blazers. Even if he misses the layup, it puts Cody Zeller and Yusuf and Larry Nance at a plus position for that Kobe assist, getting the rebound and putting it in instantly. So that's what I have the most uh, promise for from our young players is Nasir Little's aggressiveness. I think Greg Brown, I think Portland found themselves a, a fan favorite who is a high flyer. It reminds me a lot of when they drafted Travis Outlaw out of Starkville High School in 2003. Now, Travis Outlaw was two years away from being two years away, but the, the you know, I think the, the wait was worth it. I mean, he was a borderline six man of the year uh, favorite at for a couple of years. Um, big shot after big shot really refined his game into an NBA caliber player, multiple contracts. I see a lot of similarities in Greg Brown. Like he can jump really high and finish over dudes. That's what Travis did. Now, if Greg can add a jumper and given, you know, take advantage of the opportunities that he's given, you know, we could see in a few years, like, oh, that was a nice second round steal. Like, I think if you're Portland, you have to look for young players to kind of, you know, start to come after the old guard. Like you got the new guard slowly coming in. Like you always have to have, you know, the the infiltration of new talent just to kind of revitalize the, the, the franchise. And I think in a couple of years, we could look back and say that was a really solid pick. Like, how did that dude slip into the second round? And I think that he's Kenneth Freed now. He has that Kenneth Freed game. But if he develops that three-point shot, he could be such a good player in this league. Um, This is a question from Stu, Stu Pendis, our our good buddy. What is my best option for watching Blazer games without uh, cable this year? And because I know his internet situation, I think I can answer this best because he and I both have business internet by Comcast. So I believe what he can do is sign in with his business account on Xfinity Stream, and I believe all of the Blazer games will be on that app. But for other people... Even if you don't have a cable package? I I believe internet is good enough for that service. That's what I read uh, last night. Uh, Hope and pray. Go support your local bar. Go go down there and just, you know, watch a game or two. Watch them on national television at home. Um, I, I, you know, all those games will be on, you know, Hulu or, or YouTube TV. But hope and pray because unless you have Comcast or DirecTV or I think Fubo. Which is trash. That's yeah. unbelievably trash that you don't have TNT on your services, my, my G. 
Yeah, I, I, I think it might just be the, the dive bar route. Um, if you do enough, I Google, mean, you, you can do, do some, you can do some quick Googling and find the game. It's 2022 and Root Sports needs to grow the fuck up. And if you think that we're just going to not watch the games, you don't know Blazers fans well enough. And you probably shouldn't have invested all this money and time in it. If you don't know the, the Rip City faithful and their ability to find the games by any means necessary. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's on route. But also the, that was a big fuck you by the Blazers organization to go. It's with- always a big fuck you. To go but, with a company that doesn't even offer you, – you can't even go to rootsports.com, even if I have Comcast, and, and stream a game. Like, it, you have to be physically on your couch watching the TV or on their app using Wi-Fi in your home. And even the app is absolute trash. Like, I have did some some testing. It's, it's terrible. It's, it, it's 2021. It, it needs to be available on the streaming service. Adam Silver, I think, was at a conference and really – kind of trashed on the regional sports network uh, kind of package and how they are kind of structure. Like it's just, it's not, people are done with the cord. You have to go where the people are. So it may be a, a, you may get a larger audience now, but that younger audience who you could build and grow a relationship with kind of being left out in the dark to go find other entertainment sources. So it's a very short sighted view on a very big large topic because they are the official you know broadcast partner of this team for five years if i remember right um mm-hmm. this one's kind of a very deep question why should we watch this year i mean i'm gonna go with the community uh humans in general are looking for that tribe that clan that community that makes them feel like they are part of something bigger and Watching games and being part of this community is a very powerful bonding thing, especially during a pandemic where potentially watching games with others isn't a a, a, a doable thing because of so many other reasons. So I would say if you can watch games, watch games for to be part of the community and to enjoy Damian Lillard. Um, the team itself is and the ownership and the people that are in charge are very you know, they've, they fucked up and dropped the bag and have treated people like shit. But this team in this community is, you know, a really great thing. You know, like I, we wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for the community. So if you are going to watch it, I would say it's for the community. I would say watch casually this year. That's one thing that I've learned about, like removing the emotional investment of the franchise is just watch casually if they're losing by 50 turn that shit off don't feel guilty about being a real fan or not your time is valuable Mm -hmm. so if it's a game and you just want to tune into the last two minutes tune into the last two minutes there's nothing wrong with that if if the team's going to treat you like shit don't feel bad about treating them kind of you know watch on your terms um if you want to get a watch party together if you want to go to a bar and watch a game uh if you want to watch the greatness of damian lillard which could be you know, he's 31 years old. Like you don't know how many more years he has left in the tank of, of elite basketball. I mean, it's still fun to watch Damian Lillard just take over a game. Like not many players have been able to do in the history of the game. Um, just watch to be entertained. I think that's, that's the best. Like if, if they win great, if they lose whatever, like, I, I think that's my big, 
mantra this year is just if if, if you have fun, if, if it brings you joy, do it. Don't do it because you feel like you have to. Don't do it because you know, you feel guilty if you don't like, just, just watch for fun. Like that sports are supposed to be fun. Like the, you, it shouldn't be making you miserable. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Like don't feel pressured into watching games, but if you do, I'm, I'm sure that there will be a community to, you know, talk about the games with um, this is the last question. And it's from a very uh, important and very supportive friend of mine. Um, how do you think they will do this season? Will they make it to the championship? Uh, thank you for the question, Nadine. Uh, I do not think they will make it to the championship. I think we will make it to the uh, first round and unfortunately lose, but I want to thank you for being a supportive friend. <laughs> yeah, I think the Blazers are part of the play in uh, scenario. So they could either make it or, or miss it. So um It'll be interesting to have this conversation come trade deadline because I think that's when the, I think that's when Neil O'Shea is really forced to make a decision. Right now, he's been able to kind of kick the can down the road on certain decisions, but come trade deadline, he's really going to have to uh, look a couple of contracts in the eye and see what he wants to do, specifically Covington and Nurkic, and where where is the team at? So. Um, that's going to be something to kind of keep an eye on is like, can this team start out hot? If so, that's great. If they don't, it could become, you know, possibly just, you know, a sale at at one center court. So we will find out, but thank you for, for listening. Um, It's been a great episode, Sage. Nice season preview. Always great to see your face. Uh, You want to let our listeners know where they can find us. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, Dash Radio, Nothing But Net Radio. And you can follow us on Twitter um, at Holy Backboard PDX or just Holy, oh, Holy Backboard, just Holy Backboard. I should know my own Twitter stuff. Uh, his is DHaas22. And then mine is Sage. I have a happy panda wearing a Blazers hat. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go! Let's go.